You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon studs and studettes, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon the podcast where we go long on endurance and learn a lot about ourselves along the way. I'm a little short of breath because I'm hauling a bunch of crap from the pool (laughs) to my car. Just finished a 2.4 mile swim. I like doing the Ironman distance as my swim workout. I break it up a little bit so it's not too boring, but I'm going to get into how to actually do that kind of distance as your swim workout here in a minute and I think we're going to talk about matcha tea and then some upcoming races oh and a new pair of running shoes and TPU inner tubes this week but first I need to introduce myself every like fourth or fifth episode I'll do that so you know why you're listening to Zen right because there's choices out there my name is Coach Brett. I'm not just a coach. I'm a long-distance ultra-endurance athlete. been doing triathlon since 2002, I think. And I've done 15 Ironmans, even done an Ultraman, which is like a double and a half about uh, Ironman, and a 100-mile trail run race. Did a 22-mile swim across Lake Tahoe, which is almost kind of high altitude. It's like 6,000 feet elevation. Trained at sea level and did that at 6,000 feet. And also qualified for and raced Alcatraz. So I swam the Alcatraz straight. And I'll probably remember something here in a, in a minute that uh, I've forgotten. But anyway, I grew up on uh, swim teams. I started off with soccer. Really liked soccer. Uh, was even more uh, adept at swimming and swam competitively through high school got a swim scholarship didn't take it because i was burned out by then which happens to a lot of swimmers because we swim so much but was a state finalist in texas and texas is one of the three big powerhouse states i'd say california texas and florida uh 15 5a high school one of the major giant high schools i was state finalist in like uh two different freestyle events was the team's anchor freestyle for everything. And then when I got to college, I didn't swim because I was pretty much done doing that and went to a major research university, got two degrees there, a bachelor and a master's in science-based stuff and technology and mapping and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, I was Eagle Scout, so I love the outdoors and I have a good sense of morals and ethics. <laughs> so I really try to tell the truth. And then about you know racing and and everything and then i started doing triathlon and had a life i wouldn't call them tragedies but really difficult situations in life like we all do and started getting into the philosophy of why we do things really enjoy that uh kind of a deep thinker and found zen was one of the earliest podcasts and zen try which you're listening to now is one of the earliest podcasts uh, started in 2005 i think so we were one of the originals we're the longest running endurance sports podcast out there and started listening to zen and mixing zen in with what i was talking about on the podcast and dabbled with going pro but i'd have to give up my job and with a type 1 diabetic wife and a young child in the american healthcare system 
where if you don't have a solid stable job, you don't have insurance or your insurance is going to be crazy expensive. I kept, uh, after a bunch of different jobs, settled in on my government stable job that's semi-demanding. It's high tech and I'm over a, a big system, but you know, it's only 40 hours a week. And after quite a few years of doing it and a master's degree in it and stuff, it's pretty stable. I know what I'm doing. So I try to minimize the work and get everything running nice and stable, which I learned from Zen and then try to get in as much training as possible. And also if you go put all your eggs in the training basket or the pro athlete basket, one injury and it's all over and you just gave up a whole bunch of stuff. And I've already sank a lot of eggs and getting a bachelor's and a master's in what I do. Oh, and by the way, those degrees really help out because it taught me how to do research and how to do analysis. So we can do a lot of that with what works and what doesn't and how to do things with uh, triathlon training. And I kind of figured out if I can't go pro and be the best that I can possibly be, which would be kind of selfish, you know, in my, in that situation that I was in, then in fact, I'd be very selfish in the situation I was in, then I'm going to do what I can to uh, help others and get as fast as they can be and try to get everybody that I can doing endurance training and teach people how to get fast on their own. And that's where we're at. So yeah, I think, uh, I missed Worlds, a world slot to Half Iron Man by just, a, I think, a slot or something. like These punks coming down from Colorado <laughs> and nabbing these spots from high altitude and mountain training. And I did that in, in Austin in a really hot race, really hilly, really hot race. So that's actually, it wasn't my fastest Half Iron Man, but as far as performance compared to others, that was probably my pinnacle performance. It was pretty amazing. And then trying to qualify for Kona, I kept doing the local race, which is Ironman Texas in Houston. And turns out, you know, the years that I was doing that one back to back to back, did five years straight. Uh, it's just so hot. And I'm a bigger guy. I'm 6'3". And uh, with a swimming, strongest in swimming, and then a uh, perfectly fine cyclist, and then um, good runner, but didn't have a background and like run i didn't do like cross country or anything like that but was doing this started doing ultra marathons and started getting faster and faster uh but as a bigger guy even though i was skinny um the heat in the houston races uh, would get to me and i end up uh kind of melting down a little bit towards the end of most of the races i have co really cold races I actually run really well and then uh so never got to qualify for kona but i've not given up on it and then the, the very next year that I quit doing Ironman Texas, they switched up the course and they switched up the date. And they actually had a cold front and people in thermal blankets at the end of the thing. I was like, dang it, I could have done it. Ah, I bet you I could have qualified. But just as a side note, trying to qualify for Kona is you're, tracing a dra uh, you're chasing a dragon that you probably never catch. It's so competitive. And you're up against people that are like former Olympians, former pro cyclists, former collegiate runners, you know, former uh, <laughs> college scholarship swimmers that, yeah, and they only give like one slot out. So what are you going to do? You know, so I switched. Here's the philosophy in the Zen. It's like, no, you go for time. Be like a sub 10 hour Ironman triathlete. That's a better goal. You know, and if you qualify for Kona, then you qualify for Kona. If not then, you know, whatever. But you look at what's like really a good time for your race and your age and then target that because it really is a challenge against yourself. And then with my background in technology, 
and trying to spread the word. I figured out how to do podcasts and that's how Zentry came about. And at first the podcast used to be talking about news and whatever and then race results and just interviews. And then one time on one show, I just went on a ramble about some Zen stuff and I got all this feedback. People loved it. And I did it while I was out on a bike ride and the listenership just skyrocketed. And people really like to hear the why and the soundscape of being out there and the daily in and out and the trials and tribulations because they can relate to that because they're trying to get it done too. All right. The reason I mentioned all that is because in a minute, we're going to talk about Patreon. I set up and published the Patreon page so people can help support the show because that would be nice. These shows take a lot of work. But I'll get to that in a minute. I want to talk about the swim. You know, a 2.4 mile swim is epically long for swimming. And therefore, your swim workout should be kind of high in volume, kind of, (laughs) majorly high in volume, very little rest time. And then you mix in a little bit of hard efforts because you have to like pass somebody, get around somebody that's in your way or get around a buoy or something like that. And swim three, four times a week swim the time that it's going to take you to complete the Ironman swim and a little bit, a little bit over, a little bit under. And I found over the years that swimming the full hour nonstop, I used to do that. I found that actually uh, you get out of the water feeling a little bit depleted. And as a triathlete, you got to work out again later in the day or you don't be too depleted. So it's smarter to kind of fuel a little bit while, um, while doing your workout, just like if you were biking or running. And so then what I started doing was mixing in, uh, well, breaking it up into five, and then all of a sudden the the hour started to go by a whole lot faster. So five sets of 850 yards ends up being about 2.4 miles. And towards the end of 800, I start off easy. And what's crazy is when you swim easy, uh, I would use the form goggles now, and they are... um, they, you can set it up so it shows you your pace every length, every 25 I swim 25 meters the readout will tell you as you flip turn what your pace was for that and it is crazy how fast you swim right at the beginning with perfect form and nice and oxygenated and not trying very hard and it's just like whoa, that is crazy, so you start off easy and then actually you start going slower <laughs> as you go along as your form starts to go apart and it becomes obvious that form and being relaxed is actually the fastest way to swim. And then I'll zone out a little bit in the middle, and that's nice with form goggles because it'll show you uh, right in front of you like your current uh, yardage, meterage. And then I just kind of count. I just kind of count lengths as I swim across the pool. And when I hit, I count on one side. So seven strokes on my right side usually. I took about six and then I'm like, okay, I need to open up my eyes. I really swim a lot with my eyes kind of half closed and just kind of squ- kind of barely opening them and look, make sure I'm over the black line uh, or to the right of the black line uh, swimming down the pool. And then when I, you know, hit six, I kind of start really looking at the wall and then I go, okay, no, nah, no, nah, flip. And I judge how I'm doing by how many strokes it takes for me to cross the pool. And oh my God. I got somebody trying to squeeze in this tiny little parking spot. For real, dude. There's all these parking spots. Why you got to squeeze? Jesus. <laughs> okay, anyway. And what's nice is you can kind of zone out 
And then as the, say, about 200 yards left, 150 yards left, I start picking up the pace. And then uh, towards the end, I uh, go pretty medium hard and it starts to get a little tough, but my pace picks up. And then I get a two minute rest and I take a sip of fuel and then I uh, go again. And it ends up working out really nice lately because I'm getting 850 yards in per set. The hour swim is broken up into uh, five little swims of 850 yards each. So it's not like this insurmountable thing that I don't want to do. 850 yards, I can do that. And then I'm getting in a little bit of, I guess I would call it interval work towards the end, kind of a ramp up. And then I'm also working on form and technique by the beginning of each of my sets. I'm swimming real smooth and nice. And then I just try to maintain that. And then by the end of the, uh, by the end of the hour of swimming, I end up swimming for me about an hour and 25 hour, 26, and I'm sorry, a minute, 25, (laughs) just, just at an hour, just below an hour, just over an hour by like a 30 seconds or so, uh, per, uh, 2.4 miles, which is about a 125 pace this is my typical swim. Sometimes 126, 127, sometimes 124, 123, just kind of, you know, how I'm going. But then by mixing in a little bit of hard work at the end of each interval and being properly fueled, which I'll talk about at the, uh, later on in the show, about a hundred calories, just to top off the sugar, to keep the brain happy and a little bit of caffeine with the matcha powder, which we'll talk about in a minute. Then I get out of the pool feeling pretty great. And then I head into the office, which I'm actually in the parking lot and need to go in right now. And that's what I'm doing lately with my swim workouts. The Zen thing to remember is it depends. And what you need to do is different than what I need to do, but you should listen to other people and see what they're doing and try things out, mix it up. And what you do now uh, may be working really great now, but not only, you know, you should change it up as you get closer to a race. Like if I get closer to a race, uh, open water swim, I'll do more like head up swimming and looking and practicing the sighting, you know, and also, you know, a little bit more interval work depending on, you know, how short the race is. I got a race coming up that's going to be a 400 yard swim, maybe 400 meters, but so I'm going to mix in a lot more hard stuff. So I know what that feels like and, or reminds me of what that feels like. And then also over time, something gets boring and you need to kind of mix it up. So what works now isn't what's going to work next year. I've done all kinds of crazy stuff of swimming where I've always thought I've got it all figured out. And then now it changes. It's okay. Whenever you say that you've got it all figured out, (laughs) write that down (laughs) and revisit that in one month because you are wrong. Okay. That's enough of that. I want to talk about the Patreon that I set up. It is very interesting because I set it up actually a long time ago, but then never hit the go button on it. So it's got some stuff in there that is like really great. And from like a time capsule, it's really cool. And then I'm going to put some stuff in there that is going to be incredible. And I've already started the work on it and I'm going to start putting that in as soon as I can. And it's got me so excited that I can't wait to do it. And it'll be a great way for you to support the show and then also uh, modify and improve your own training in a really easy way. But like I said, I need to go in and get some work done. And we'll talk more about Patreon when I come right back. All right, I am back. Let's go eat some lunch. Maybe I'll go get a burrito. So the deal with Patreon is I actually set up a Patreon page long ago. In 2016, it looks like, is when I started it. And then I got it pretty much done and then had second thoughts about it because back in 2016, it seemed 
there was something, you know, off about it where I wasn't sure it was actually going to succeed as a company, I guess. And then also it seemed like the, the podcasts that were using it and the way they were saying it, I left my car unlocked. That's smart. Anybody want some free swim goggles? Just seemed kind of, I don't know what the word, like smarmy. You know, it just didn't seem a good fit for like a positive, let's go get this done. It seemed more, I don't know, like for, I don't know, stuck up art critics or something like that. It was, it was weird. So evidently, I just <laughs> made an entire Patreon site with, with content for people to use and then uh, just parked it. And it's been sitting there. But lately, I've noticed that there's a lot of sports, cycling, triathlon, whatever sites that are more like us that are saying, oh, by the way, go over and support us over at Patreon. They're just saying it real casual. It's a real positive thing. And Zentri is my life's greatest work. And it's my, my legacy of, of something that I've built myself. And, you know, I like for it to be real and um, quality and most of all, just to be authentic. It's it's true. Whether it's goofy or funny or I'm being a smart ass or I'm being serious. But one thing I'm definitely not is smarmy. <laughs> I don't take myself that seriously. I definitely don't do is I don't do something unless I really want to do it with Zentri. Everything that we do in Zentri is because we want it there. And that's a little bit of something I learned from Zen, you know, do everything with intention or just don't do it. Don't half-ass stuff. Unless your intention is to half-ass something. A real Zen master would tell you. Then definitely half-ass it. But my intention is not to half-ass it. But also, it's just, it's sustainability. I want to make things so that uh, they're self-reinforcing. There's a really great book called Anti-Fragile. And it's when things are built so that they actually get tougher the more you beat on them, right? And Ublek is a, is a good example of anti-fragile. So if it's not something that is already in my daily flow and something that I'm like really excited about, yeah, I'll get started on it, but then I'm, I'll just park it and be like, okay, well, either we'll never do this or we'll do this later. And I've learned a lot of times it's not, it's just not the right time. So if you can, especially with digital stuff, just park it. You can come back to it. It's like buying a domain, but then maybe don't do anything with it. Okay, so I went in there and said, okay, I'm going to turn on Patreon because it seems like a really good way. Enough people are using it where it's not unreasonable to ask people to support the show using Patreon. And I thought I was actually going to have to do a bunch of work, <laughs> but I've already got a logo and some content, like I said, and, and levels of support set up. And honestly, all I had to do was hit the publish button and it's, it activated. And then I posted on uh, Twitter Instagram and Facebook that it was live. Now there's something funny is the content that's in there is really good, but it's old, but it's still good. But I cannot wait to put more in there because I have something that is so important to me that this is the place to put it. And when I put two and two together, I got so excited because now this is a self-reinforcing anti-fragile thing. I'll get to that in a second. But uh, let me first say what's in there already. Uh, Matt Fitzgerald is a famous author about endurance sports. And I have an interview with him where it looks like I had this idea where I was going to take the raw parts of interviews and post them. So you get to hear all the uhs and does and outtakes and stuff like that. Uh, by the time an interview hits the air 
on a podcast, one of my shows, it's been edited down and awkward stuff has been taken out or maybe some uh, off-color comments <laughs> and cussing and dogs barking and stuff. So you get to hear like the full audio if you want to hear that. And so Matt Fitzgerald and a big one is Andrew Starkowitz. And he is, if you do not know who Andrew Starkowitz is, he was the whole reason behind the real Starkey. And it was a Twitter, it was a Twitter fiasco of a un, unknown person who I actually got to be friends with. And he became a podcaster. I taught him how to podcast a little bit, actually. And just the craziest thing in triathlon of the decade of the of the teens happened with Andrew, the real Starkey. And it was based around Andrew Starkowitz, who was not the real Starkey. Uh, the other one was Ben Hobbs, who was the uh, who was the person behind the account, the Twitter account, the real Starkey. But Andrew Starkowitz is a pro triathlete. I don't. I have to look to see if he's retired or not. But the guy had a way of by saying what's on his mind of pissing off people by being he wasn't like brash and overconfident I mean, but he kind of was well he came across as that because if you asked him a question he'd tell you the truth about it and he wouldn't uh sugarcoat anything or soft land anything and it was just like crazy so this ben hobbs guy uh created an account and would say that pretend that he was kind of like the pro triathlete and then just say the most outrageous stuff about the sport at the time. The sport at the time was going through a lot of turmoil and it was sorely needed to have somebody say the truth about what we were all thinking, but then pin it on Andrew Starkwood <laughs> as if this is what he would say if he was talking about it. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. But I managed to land an interview with Andrew Starkwood himself about how he trains and his goals and his injuries and, and, you know, all kinds of good stuff. And the raw interview with Andrew Starkowitz is in there in the Patreon page. So you can just hit play and listen to it. And then what else do I have in there? Oh, when I was digging for things to put up on there back in 2016, I found the entire catalog in Google Drive of all the shows that I made from 2011 and back I think or the 2011 and forward at the time the whole list of them is like right there the the audio and you can play them right from the uh from the site and some stuff's really old and it'll give you like context what was going on it was a really wild time and it's a fun listen might take you back to uh, some races that you did and then I noticed that there was uh, there's a post or two about some races and some thoughts that I was having about things and uh, for example, 2016 Half Ironman Galveston. I'm not sure if that was my PR race that I did, but it was right about that time. It could be. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Was that anyway? And or it might have been the race that Lance Armstrong was at when I raced against him. And. Anyway, I had some thoughts about the race and what I would do differently. And it just seemed to be like content, like a stream of consciousness about like what, what, I don't know if a stream of consciousness, probably had notes about what I did and what I would do differently. And I put it up there as like, oh, this would be good. And I think there's something else like that too. And maybe a, like a link or two to like a document or two, like how to train on some stuff. Okay. So that's what's in there just to start. 
because that's what was already in there. And I just published this last night. I haven't had time to put anything new in there. Now, typically what people do with Patreon is they put in extra stuff, right, for members only. So after the show, they say, oh, we're going to continue talking. And if you want to hear the rest of what we talk about, uh, go check out. Uh, that, that'll be for the members only. That way, people that are paying feel like they're getting something. Oh, and so the... The pay structure that I had set up, I just left it at what it was at. I didn't want to think too much about it. it. was $5 a month to be a member, and you get access to everything that I put in there. And that was it, right? There's no, like, levels of membership. I just put $5 a month. But also I put in there an opportunity for sponsors if they wanted to get mentioned on the show. Like a quick mention, uh, it's $100 a month. And then if you want to be a title sponsor, be mentioned like right at the front of every episode and like really pushed hard, then that was uh, $350 a month. And looking back, like I, I still think that's a fair price because, but I could, I'm up to revisiting it, but just off the top of my head, it seems fair because these shows stay out there forever. It's not like you get an ad and it's on TV or in a magazine and then it gets destroyed or never seen again. People go back and listen. I look at the stats. People go back and listen to the content. Uh, I'm going to park somewhere else now that I'm here where I can be a little bit longer. People go back and listen to the content for years. And I don't go back and take sponsors out of shows. It's in there. So I'm sponsored by Sunto back in the day. All the ads for Sunto are in there. And also, by the way, you know, side note, if you want to help sponsor the show and you don't want to do you know, paid sponsorship and us mention you and you want to do gear instead, send us something like set of wheels or something like that. That's always a, uh, I should put that up there as a, as a, um, as a level of membership, but not put a dollar amount on it and say, uh, negotiable. And then like, uh, like gear review, like send me your gear and then I'll, I'll review it. Okay. That's all good and fine. I want to get to the really cool thing for 10 years. I've been putting together notes on how to train and how to race and also some Zen philosophy notes. But without a reason to publish it, without a way to make something out of it, uh, there's like no reason to like continue doing it. Even though I want to, it's not this anti-fragile, self-propagating, self-reinforcing kind of thing. Uh, it would like stop, start. So it's definitely not done, but the bones are there and a little bit of meat. And the coolest thing is I've done it in a way using software that's it's web-based. So all I have to do is give the link out to members and then uh, they can see a read-only version of it and it's collapsible bullets. It's so awesome. So let's say it starts off with like uh, swimming and then you can collapse down and it's got like how many times a week to swim, how hard to swim, what are these types of intervals? If you're going to do this sort of distance, like how to train, how to fuel during a swim, how to fuel during a marathon swim, race techniques during swimming. And then those are expandable. And then let's go over to, everybody loves biking. You know, biking, what are the, what are the fastest wheels? And like everything is actually, if you drift your mouse over it, it's time stamped. So you can see if I don't timestamp it myself, obviously, then if you just drift your mouse over it, you can see the last time it was edited and the dates on things. So you can see if it's like old information or relatively new. And then also I have notes on races and race courses. But anyway, let's say back to bikes. So what wheels and then what inner tubes and then why, right? And we talk about later in the show, like uh, TPU inner tubes. So that's all going to go in there. 
about why you would use TPU inner tubes for this situation, but not for that situation, and which brand of inner tubes have the removable valve cores and which don't. And the research that I've done personally and also research out there on putting the water bottle down the front of your jersey and does it actually make you faster? How much faster does shaving your legs make you on the bike, right? So that's all in there and you're like, okay, now it's starting to sound like a lot of stuff. How do I find it all? And that is just the, the magic sauce that brings it all together is the software that I use for this stuff uses hashtags, right? So all you have to do is tap on a hashtag, click on a hashtag, and it'll it'll sort the and clean out the list. So it's only things that are uh, related to that hashtag. And I love using the hashtags, and it's built right into it as I type. So if you want to see what's the best tire and rim combination for a 70.3 <laughs> in a hot climate and... Along with that, the amount of electrolytes to use to be properly hydrated, you could just start clicking on hashtags and it starts sorting and, and directing you to more of that. And I got started using this for work because I'm trying to keep track of software. And is it maintenance? Is it uh, travel and training for work? Is uh, And I have like different employees that do different types of jobs and different type of... I deal with huge data sets at work. Massive, massive data. The biggest data sets that you can deal with, it, which is aerial photography. And also vendors, right? So aerial photography, hashtag 2019. And then it brings back a list of vendors. And I'm like, well, oh, that's this vendor. I click on that vendor. And then that vendor's hashtag. And then that'll bring me back all the stuff we've ever done with them over all the years. Like backwards. And I'm, as I was using this for work to help sort and find and catalog things, then I realized this would be so great for using for triathlon and for writing my, what I call the training bio the training Bible, my Zen and the Art of Triathlon manifesto on how to do endurance sports. And all the information I've collected over all these years, all these interviews with pros and coaches and experts about what works and what doesn't, and then me applying it in real, in real life is all like being collected. And I've wanted to put it out on the internet for people to have, but I also want to get some return on that work. It's the perfect thing to actually publish. But I don't want to publish a book on how to train for triathlon because it's always changing and the sport's always changing and the gear's always changing. And the the, the nutrition, just in the past two years, I've completely learned a different way of doing nutrition. And uh, also like vitamin D deficiency or iron deficiency and veganism and like whatever. It's always, there's always more and more information. And this, this thing that I've created is a living document and I love documenting things and writing it all down. And so it's all going into this, this one thing. And I'm like, Oh, if I put in Patreon the link to my notes on how to train and race for triathlon and also the Zen philosophy behind lots of it, then all the subscribers, the membership peeps will get access to it. And then now I'm wanting to keep updating it and add more stuff to it because it creates income and it creates more resources for us to keep making shows. And this thing could become really something. And this is something that people would really enjoy using, but only they would get access to it 
the ones that are members of Zentri. So we're not giving out to everybody just yet. <laughs> so the Zentri folks have the advantage of knowing this information. And since it's a membership, it's okay because it's always being updated, right? It's okay to pay some a little bit every month because it's getting new information every month. And then on the shows, I can mention, hey, all the stuff that I talked about on the show, there, I also added more to the Zentri training Bible about, I don't know, maple syrup. Or there's new research on uh, sweet spot training. And here's a hyperlink to it. And I tried a little bit of it. And so I put some notes in there about my experience with it. And now you have that too, right? So then when you hit on this, the hashtag training and then uh, hashtag intervals, and then ha that'll bring up like sweet spot, polarized, da da da. Then you click on sweet spot and bang, it's right there. It's so cool. So what I'm going to do is collect the notes that I have, and it's in two different places right now. One's Dynalist and one is Workflowy. I'll have to decide which one has the best structure for what we want to do and the best uh, management of, uh, of access for uh, members. And I'll condense what I've got in one spot, put a link to it inside the membership area of the Patreon site. And it, by the way, it's Patreon slash Zentri. And like I said, it's just the bones of how to do this stuff right now and a little bit of meat kind of here and there. So there's a lot of detail, but it's definitely not filled out and it hasn't been updated in a little bit. So, and it hasn't been updated with the very latest stuff. So I'm going to be adding to it and then updating on the podcast what I've added to it. And you guys out there that sign up as, as members, you're going to get to see it like being built out live, right? And my email is texafornia at gmail.com. And I'll put that at the top probably of the document that if you have something that you think that I need to add in there, let me know. Or if you have a request, let me know. And then I'll put that in there as well. I'm really excited. I'm so excited about this because I have so much information that I can't get out on shows. So the combination of the training Bible and then also a place to put audio that um, doesn't really fit into a podcast, but people would definitely enjoy knowing my thoughts on or my experiences or audio from a race or something like that, that I have laying around that I could put in there like off the top of my head, when I went and sat in the ice bath with Gary over at his house, you know, I chopped out almost 90% of it just to get the audio of the important parts. Well, I could put that whole thing in there because some people want to hear that the whole 10 minutes of me getting in and out of the ice bath, right? Without the pieces cut out and also cheering. Uh, we got a race coming up. I race in the morning. It's a mountain bike race. And then Kai's going to race in the evening. And there's something about where like if stuff's behind a paywall, then these are super fans that are paying for this. You're not going to get as much criticism and negativity from people because they're paying for it. So you're more likely to put stuff out there that you're like kind of unsure if people really want to hear it or not. But super fans definitely want to hear it. And you're not going to get negative criticism because they're paying for this. So they like it. And the cheering for Kai at the race, uh, let's say in a podcast, we'll cut it down to like five minutes of him, uh, you know, starting off and a couple like, you know, little bits with people kind of here and there. But let's say the actual audio is like 30 minutes long. And I'll say, oh, dude, this whole thing that needs to go up on the uh, on the podcast site or on the Patreon site so that the super fans can actually hear the whole thing. And um, on the podcast, we'll just put, you know, the bits that are entertaining for people that want to get in and out of the show and hear about all kinds of different things. 
And also like another long form thing that I could put up there is my experience of what happened uh, when I started mountain biking all the time and quit road biking as much and how it affected how my legs could put out power. They just like, I couldn't do anything after about a minute because of the stop start of mountain biking and then how I actually fixed it. Like I would go out on a road ride and I could not pedal for more than like two minutes straight without needing the coast. It was the craziest thing because I was doing so much mountain biking and mountain biking so stop start and how that actually really does affect your your bike power and your training and, and it was just so bizarre and how I actually fixed it to get the power back that nice, nice and consistent and my thoughts on like how important it is for triathlon and road cycling and gravel racing, anything that's not mountain biking, how important it is to do long, steady efforts to be able to build power and consistency and how to actually do it out on the road. That's a whole uh, 20 minute lecture right there that I could put out. And then also what it was like uh, being a vegan, a raw vegan for nine months to a year. And my experiences with that and like why I quit doing that, I could record a piece on that and then put that up there and then just mention it on the podcast. If you want to hear my thoughts on that and what I really think, (laughs) basically, there's going to be a whole lot of what I really think about stuff because it's a safe space for us to put that kind of thing. You know, when I see Dylan Johnson being a vegan and then he's having um, performance problems with iron uptake and oxygen uptake and you know is that actually worth it to be uh, vegan with uh, with endurance sports and I have uh, it depends and yes no thoughts on it that if you're in that realm maybe that's something that you want to listen to like a 20 minute 30 minute thing but I don't have time to like edit that all down professionally to like a super like high quality podcast that needs to be you know that's just some thoughts I could just put up there in the Patreon site Okay, I guess you can tell, by the way, I'm just giving example after example, like how excited I, I am about this. And I'm, I'm totally into this. And we're definitely going to do it. And yeah, I'm so happy to have a reason to actually continue building out the Zentri Training Bible. Because it's something I want to leave behind when I'm finally done with it. And I'm, I'm 85 years old and not doing, can't do triathlons anymore or something like that. Then we're done. We can publish <laughs> We can lock it down and say that's that was it at this time. This is everything that I knew, and it's my life's work. And my family can hold on to it and pass it down. Uh, you know, it's my my life's work. And oh, what it reminds me of is Sheldon Brown. If you Google Sheldon Brown and you don't already know who this is, you will come across a website. And he was a master mechanic, bike mechanic, and bike rider, racer, I guess. And he started a website where he started compiling everything that he knew about bicycles and it became the site to go to to find out anything about with bicycles what standard works with this standard what gear ratio works with that why do you want these pedals over those pedals it was really fact-based and not very opinion-based but it was fact-based and what's the right grease for these bearings and and it's like it was the encyclopedia and the word of God on <laughs> on uh, bike racing and or bicycles and bicycle maintenance and bicycle performance and just anything to do with bicycles and where you could find, you know, what is a what's the gear ratios inside of a Sturmy Archer nine speed from 1983. Right. It's so it's it's uh, it's just crazy. And and 
I feel like uh, the Zentri Training Bible could be something like that. And then Sheldon Brown passed away, let's say 10 years ago. Maybe it hasn't been that long. And I don't know if anybody has been keeping up the site since then. It's kind of like frozen in time, but it's still up there. And it's really, 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 really cool. So let's do it. Let's start building our own Zentri Training Bible with y'all's help, giving me a reason to do it. And I've said enough. I'm ready to go eat some Mexican food. I'll be right back. All right, let's talk a little bit about running shoes. <laughs> it just crossed my mind. Triathlon is perfect for people with ADHD, ADHD because of the three different sports. We've been talking about swimming for more than five minutes. It's time to talk about something else. Let's talk about running. There's a good joke. Uh, how many people with ADHD does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is, want to go ride bikes? <laughs> Whoa. Use your blinker, buddy. Changing lanes without using your blinker, you're gonna get hit. Okay. The show could be renamed Brett's Triathlon News Reviews and Traffic Escapades. So what is my strategy for buying running shoes? Well, I do what a lot of people do is uh, if you buy one pair of shoes, you finally narrow down what pairs of shoes actually work for you, what brand and model, and that's okay. Uh, that takes time for you to figure out and let go of the marketing and all that stuff. Turns out it's kind of like bike saddles. There is a shoe that works best for you because they're all different. People have d such different feet. And one of the most aggravating things is when you find a, a shoe model that you love and then they quit making it. Oh my God. So what people do is when they learn that their shoe is going to be discontinued, they go and buy a whole bunch of them. They buy like three pair of them. And then they dread the day that they finally wear them out. But anyway, along those lines, I've found that Hoka, I think they're Clifton's, end up being what works the best for me. Although I'm not in love with them, but they're pretty good. And what I don't like about them, well, let's start with what I like about them. What I like about them and the reason they're really good for long distance endurance athletes and uh, ultra runners is just the amount of cushioning, a really thick sole, they're lightweight. So they last a long time. And I remember somebody saying, I don't even notice, my feet don't even start hurting on an ultra marathon until like mile 20 or 30. That's what it, then I start to notice the ground. And that's really impressive because with, it used to be with regular running shoes, it takes like, uh, I don't know, five miles. And then you're like, oh, uh, anyway. So if you're a high volume runner, but we're not like high speed performance runners, not like track or 10K racers or something like that. You need something super lightweight. You just want high volume and volume i mean like you run a lot so 40 miles 50 miles per week then you want high volume trainers that are going to stand up to that kind of thing and keep their compression or keep their uh, cushion as long as possible and hoka clifton's kind of fall in that camp and what i don't like about them is that the extra cushion in the sole, the problem is that it makes you more prone to uh, rolling your ankle. But with anything, with practice and, and being patient, I'm pulling up next to a uh, Land Rover uh, Defender, one of the new ones. I like my off-road vehicle more than yours. 
Mine's so awesome. I love it. Anyway, I've got the four by four package on a, a Ram full-size pickup. I wish it was a little bit narrower to get through things, but low gear, four-wheel drive, big V8. Oh, it's so great. Locking rear differential. It's got a bit of a lift kit in it, stock from the factory. 33-inch all-terrain tires. I might put 35s on it as my next my next uh, tire set, if they fit. All right, enough truck stuff. We don't have much time. I've got a meeting at 2 o'clock. i got to get on the phone. Talking about uh, not aero photography, but even more high-tech, LiDAR, which is laser radar. And talk about a data set. 60 points per square meter of information for... 150 square miles of area. And from those points, we get their elevation points and some other data too. So you're talking about insanely high resolution data set, terabytes of data that uh, we use to derive like contour lines and erosion and floodplain and things like that from. And I got to figure out how to store all that data and distribute it amongst a big group of people for use. And also uh, deal with the vendor, the contractor and the quality assurance and negotiate legal, all kinds of stuff like that. And then it goes into my notes with some hashtags so I can <laughs> search on it next year when we want to do it again. My thoughts, my work Bible. Doing that has made my job so easy. I gave a lecture one time on Zen and the art of what I do for work. And I talked about how uh, things that, if you don't do something all every day, or weekly, or even, yeah, even monthly. Once it gets beyond like two, three months, then you forget exactly how to do it, and then you wanna write notes on it. But then those notes, you wanna be able to find those notes the very first time that you think about it. And those are the important things to document uh, every few months or more, because rediscovering how to do something is such a waste of time, you know? How do you check out a car from work for a, for a road trip? How do you fill out a travel form to book and then book a hotel? Who signs it and whatever, right? Write all that down because you only go on a training work trip like where I work like a few times a year, uh, if that. So uh, you don't want to forget. Or you don't want to have to re-remember that all the time. And then also you cover your ass when you go to somebody and say, this is how we do it. And they go, that's not what I said. And they go, no. That is what you said. That's how we did it last time. I got it written down. <laughs> this is how we do it. Anyway, my pro tip trick is to write the date that you purchased your shoes with permanent marker on the insole, like underneath, somewhere on your shoes, right? And what I've been doing that's interesting, uh, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's an experiment on society, social experiment. There you go is I write a permanent marker like beneath on the shoe sole, the midsole, um, on the inside of the shoe arch, right? It's outside of the shoe so people can see it, but it's not on the outside outside of the shoe. It's on the inside outside of the shoe, right? It's like if it's on, if I'm wearing my right shoe on my right leg, then I write it on the midsole beneath my right ankle, but on the left side of my right ankle. And Every once in a while, when I wear those running shoes, I'll get a comment from somebody. They'll go, what's that? Why do you have a, what do you have written on your shoe? <laughs> and I'll say, oh, that's the date I purchased these. So I know how old they are. And I don't ever have to look it up. I can just look at my shoe and see. And it's also really handy because if you buy the same shoes all the time, they, they look alike. And then after they get some wear and tear, it's kind of hard to tell, you know, how old they are. And 
or which ones are the old ones, which ones are the new ones. And also if you rotate out shoes, you know, things can get kind of confusing. There goes a college student by on a fixie. No, single speed. Good job, dude. That'll build some leg strength on you. So an interesting observation, a lot of times we don't change until something is painful enough to force us to change. And I've been running in the same old shoes. We're trying to save money. So I haven't bought any. I've been getting by and I have two pairs of old shoes. So I've been rotating them in and out. Uh, they're definitely over their mileage. One pair is really over their mileage. What I did is training for the Rocky Raccoon uh, 50 miler the last time I did it. I bought a new pair of shoes like a few months out, trained in those. And this is what I've learned to do right before the race, the week before the race, start with a new pair of shoes, break running them just enough to break them in just a little bit. So you know they're not going to give you blisters. The, the exact same shoes, the same model, everything. So there's no changes really. And then on race day, you're wearing basically a broken in pair of brand new shoe, the brand new fluffy versions of the shoes that you've been training in. And then those are your race shoes. So I raced in those. And then after that race, um, didn't run for a while because I had a little bit of a knee injury and from something else entirely. And then I, um, but the, the dates that I bought those shoes, I can tell which ones are the ones that I just destroyed in training and which ones I raced in just a, you know, 50 miles. And then, uh, just a little bit more than that. And those are definitely different. They, the newer shoes are definitely cushier, but since I, they're, they're, they look exactly the same. The only difference is shoelace color, and that's not going to help me. And I use elastic laces, by the way, uh, on those things. And also, I wear them uh, for mountain biking uh, as my flat pedal mountain bike shoes because they grip the pedals pretty good. But anyway, my last run last Saturday hurt so bad when I was done that I ended up limping with a collapsed arch pain in my right foot um, that night. I ran nine miles, 10 miles. And that night my foot hurt next day, foot hurt really, really bad to the point of when I went, I went and looked to see what shoes I was wearing is, yep. I ran nine miles uh, wearing these old shoes, the oldest shoes, and it hurt so bad. And I also got at work this notice that we can charge $150. Work will pay for $150 worth of uh, athletic equipment. And I went by HR and they said, yeah, not shoes though. And I'm like, God, but th that's the one thing I want you know? And they said, yeah, that's apparel. They won't do apparel. And I said, well, I'm going to try it between you and me. I'm going to try it anyway. So I go to Brad's running store and I know the owner and I get, they look up the exact shoes that I had last and what size and everything I already knew. And well, I didn't know that were Clifton's for sure. Cause it'd been a while. And, and I didn't have them with me. I should have brought them in with me and tried on some cliff. They looked it up. They said, you know, they were Clifton's. This is a date I purchased them. They made fun of me for being that long. And I said, well, that's why I'm here because my feet hurt. And then I uh, purchased it and they were $140, which also struck me as kind of, you know, why have cars like doubled in price and uh, bicycles have doubled and tripled in price, but shoes have not. Seems like uh, something's up there where people are taking advantage of, of uh, people. They know that they can't pull one over on shoes. People are like, not, they're not going to stand for it. <laughs> but bicycles and cars are so complicated. Well, maybe it is worth twice as much, you know, now that it's got a different paint job or something like that. It's like, whatever. But anyway, the uh, receipt, I submitted it through the work. I had to sign up for a whole new program, a rebate, you know, program. I had to hand over my social security number, which I wasn't really all that happy about. But anyway, and... I'm sitting there thinking, dude, I'm totally going to submit this. There's a sorority girl out here in the street having a sneezing fit. It's one of the funniest things I think I've seen all day. That's funny. Anyway, the receipt says 
Brazos running. Oh, so athletic apparel, because like, who knows if you're using it for, for athleticness, right? For health and fitness. So why should they give you a rebate on that? Because you could get running shoes and I don't know, just wear them around the house or something. I don't know, whatever. Or running, you could get a, a shirt from an athletic shirt, but you're not doing, that doesn't mean you're doing any athletics with it. Well, I'm also like, one of the things they give you a rebate on is, you know, like a, a tracker watch, you know, like a, a fitness tracker. And I'm like, so if I buy a Garmin watch and it's got fitness tracking in it, how do you know I'm even using it? You know, but you're going to give me 150 bucks back on that. So there's all the holes in the logic galore in this. And it bugs me when, when uh, companies or programs or whatever try to micromanage things and then ends up costing them more money uh, and fighting with the details than if they just, you know, don't try to control, grip things so tightly that in Zen they teach you if you grip things too tightly, you get rope burn, you know. Or in Star Wars, which is also the most uh, important movie ever made. <laughs> the, uh, the tighter you, what did Princess Leia say to Darth Vader? The tighter, the tighter you grip, uh, the more galaxies will slip between your fingers. Anyway, the receipt says uh, Brazos running store. And then on it, they are running shoes. And so I'm hoping the double running on it uh, will convince them that. Uh, so I submitted everything, took photos and, and uploaded it. It's the way we do things nowadays. And I got those a couple days ago and have been wearing them to work a little bit. Uh, to kind of break them in before I go for my first run in it. That's my other pro tip is before you go for your first run and your run is like six miles in these, uh, wear them, uh, you know, half a day at work, day at work, and uh, kind of break them in a little bit in a gentle environment. But yeah, I think that's it. We're going to go inside. The, um, the other thing I like about Clifton's and Hoka's and all that other stuff is the ones I learned from my good friend, Chris Matus, that... Uh, when I first started getting trail running, I was talking about buying shoes that had Cortex and water resistant and all that stuff. And he said, no, don't do that. Buy shoes. You'll find that if they're water resistant or waterproof or whatever, um, they keep water out until water gets in and then they keep water in and won't let it out. <laughs> you're actually better off wearing shoes that are high ventilation. And then if they get wet, your feet get wet, but then your feet also dry out faster as, uh, as you're moving in them. And turns out, not only was he right, but check out this example. I think I set my PR in a 50 miler trail run race. It was really, really uh, rugged race. And I think I averaged like a nine minute mile for 50 miles. <laughs> maybe, I guess, I don't know. That may be a stretch. But anyway, in Nike Freeze, and it, it, it was dumping rain and I was running through calf deep water, but the shoes were so ventilated that water ran in and out right? It never held on to anything. There's no material there to hold on to anything. And I ended up having lighter feet. And then, like I said about me getting overheated, the, uh, it was cold and rainy and I ended up running really well because it all kept me cool. Hey, there's a Tesla. All right. I'm going to get on my, uh, my data management call here and see what we can do. Be right back. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. As I leave the house here for my morning swim, I woke up a little bit late and a little bit late getting to the pool. But one thing, Monday morning swim is so worth it. And the second thing is at least yesterday, I pre-packed some of my stuff 
at least located most of it. Except for my work shirt. <laughs> I had to wake up Emily find some stuff that she'd hung up somewhere. And then, I'm not putting this, I'm putting my fuel bottle somewhere where it won't spill and leak all over. There's my next swim, swim shampoo bottle. When my current one runs out. All right. I had a coaching call with Kai last night. Oh, my windshield wipers are going. Why? There you go. All right. And I want to talk about that. Knee pain on the bike. And there was something else. I'll remember in a second. Just real quick what I did. Training over the weekend. Saturday, three-hour bike on Zwift. Kind of light to medium. Picking the flattest route I could figure out. Oh, that's the other thing I wanted to talk about. About how to use Zwift for long-distance triathlon training. Oh, my gosh. And just building volume. So any kind of long-durance endurance. Long-durance. Long-distance endurance like bikepacking or, I don't know, gravel race. Long, long gravel race. I'm just going through my mind. Did I pack everything for work? Yeah, I packed it last night. Okay. <laughs> Having your stuff packed the night before as much as possible is one of the biggest, or set up the night before, is one of the biggest training tips because at least it's de-stressing, if anything. So Kai mentioned last night that he's got knee pain on the inside of his left knee. And I told him, uh, very first thing that you check is your uh, cleat position on your shoes to make sure they haven't moved, make sure they're nice, and make sure they're tight because uh, bolts get loose. That's the number one way to uh, start developing some knee pain. And people totally forget to check that. And if that's what it is, it's so easy to fix. You just fix it immediately. There's no guessing. You're like, oh, match them back up. or If you have your cleats set a certain weird way that you found over time, one further back than the other, one twisted more than the other, take a photo of it, save that photo somewhere in your favorites of what the cleats look like. But anyway, he said no. And then I said, okay, now for knee pain, you can Google it and there are websites dedicated to telling you exactly what's causing your knee pain based on where the knee pain is. And it's front of your knee means your saddle's too low in general. All these are in general. And uh, back of your knee, behind your knee, means your seat saddle is too high. And then the inside of your knee and versus outside of your knee is uh, your knees are splaying in or out to compensate for your saddle being too short. And then also uh, another one that people do is the saddle's too high so they drop a hip to generate power on one side more than the other. And that ends up to a tilted pelvis on the sideways. And Kai said he was uh, inside of left knee. That means that it's probably... Let's see, when it's the outside of my right knee, that means my left knee's bowing in, so it's the opposite side. So it's the inside of his left knee, that means he's bowing, oh yeah, he's bowing his left knee out, like Lionel Sanders, <laughs> somehow. Has survived without blowing his knees to pieces, pedaling like he does. And the uh, cure, oh, he said, yeah, actually for the bike packing trip, we also, you look for anything that's changed recently. And we added a frame bag to his bike 
and he said that he noticed on the long bike trip that he started developing some knee pain. And yeah, basically what he was doing was splaying his knee out to um, not contact that bag with his uh, left knee. And you have to learn either to get used to contacting it or just don't contact it as much or do cleat adjustments or whatever so you're not contacting the bag. And or raise your saddle a little bit. And yeah, that's most likely the culprit. And we've got a race coming up uh, Sunday. He's a race that's really important to him because he's trying to do well in the series is uh, Rocky Hill Ranch. By the time you hear this podcast, we'll just be rolling into it because it takes me a few days to make a show. And... That'll be Sunday. And because it's between he and I where we live, uh, Emily and Kai's girlfriend, all of us are probably going to go. And they have a Cat 1 Division 17-mile mountain bike race on Sunday morning. And depending on the weather, I'll look at the weather and and such. And I'll decide if I want to do it or not. But I'm probably going to do that. And he'll race Open Pro later that afternoon that'll be fun. That'll be a cool show. And I told Kai, you know, in general, you should be able to look down while you're pedaling on your bike and your knees should be tracking perfectly straight up and down and not contacting anything and not splaying out. And what a lot of people do, uh, or what you could do, not a lot of people do this, is put pipe cleaner on your stem and get it so that it'll touch your knee or put it on the top tube and it'll touch your knee uh, if you get too close but also it'll touch your knee if you get it exactly right if you're trying to bring your knees in so every pedal stroke you should feel a light tap on your knee until you get used to it and that's actually where you should be that's a cool trick and then I told him that it's uh, the bike trainer is amazing for bike fit and you can do what I call a sacrificial ride where you've just decided ahead of time that this bike ride, at least the first half hour of it, is going to be all about bike fit. Just get it out of your head that you're going to get a great workout in at least the first half and uh, just work on bike fit and adjust things up, down, left, right, uh, forward and back until you get that bike fit uh, dialed in and it's worth it. It's so worth it. It's actually priceless to be able to do that. And I told him, you know, when I was starting out, we didn't have bike trainers like we do now. And the fact that you have a stationary bike where you can sit there and just pedal and put down power and see what your highest power is once you warm up with the lowest heart rate, which means you're comfortable. And then, like, you start slamming the stem, and then you'll notice your heart rate goes up because you can't breathe, and it's compressing your chest. That's too far. So you raise your front end up until it's not bothering your breathing anymore. And then, also, you know, at the same time, you're doing front and aft on the saddle and up and down on the saddle and things like that. It's just amazing. You line up your saddle with your handlebar, the stem of your bike, all kinds of great things. 
So definitely take the time to do that. So anyway, I was doing my long ride, uh, three hours on Swift, and trying to keep it as flat as I could, I noticed something interesting. I was going through Titan's Grove, which is really punchy and hilly, and, and just constant stop, start, stop, start, and I find that annoying <laughs> when I'm trying to get in a workout, just a long workout where I'm trying to do, do a zone two and keep it chill and, and uh, build an endurance, have all the stop, start mixed in. So while I was pedaling, I went to menu settings and slid the adjustment of how realistic the hills are back to uh, like 20%. And I realized I, you know, I had it on the max beforehand. So I slid it to 20% and oh, it was fantastic. It took the edge off Titan's Grove down to almost unnoticeable. I was like, oh, this is so great. And then it, I remembered that I used to ride with it about on 50% all the time. And uh, for quite a while at one point, I was just a machine on Zwift and out on the open road with really high wattage numbers, like FTP of well over 300 and I could just pedal smoothly just for hours on end with lots of power. And I was like, oh yeah, let's let's slide the resistance reali realism of because Zwift is really hilly on purpose to keep it entertaining for people. Simple minds are easily entertained. You know, and the target audience is people that are like, you know, 80% of people on Zwift are just weekend warriors or not even that. They're just looking for entertainment. So the punchier and hillier it is, it's terrible for training, but it's uh, what they like and it keeps them buying a subscription. And so I adjusted it back up to about 50% and then kept on riding and it was amazing. And I was like, yes, dude, because on the downhills, you're not coasting so much. And you're, uh, so then you're getting a little bit of workout. And then on the uphills, it's not so severe that it's overdoing it. So then you're getting a nice, even effort on the, on the uphills. And it was just perfect. So my, that's my recommendation is consider moving your, Swift resistance settings to about 50%, and then uh, you'll get a much, much better workout. So, then anyway, I think uh, Saturday afternoon I did a one hour, yeah, because I biked three hours. So, I did a one hour run with River in my new running shoes, that was nice. And then yesterday I did a nine hour nine hour. <laughs> I started off in the morning with a nine mile, uh, run on the reason I was uh, biking indoors. It's so it got cold again. It's so frustrating. I wanted to bike outside so bad. And then that nine mile run with river. And then I decided I needed to clean up the house, clean up my own crap everywhere. And 
also work on podcasts and coaching and, and I took it easy and then I took a nap and then which is also a workout if you're a triathlete I took a nap and then uh, basically only had time to uh, bike about an hour hour and a half and I needed to do it indoors because it was going to get dark outside in fact by the time I got on the bike it was dark outside and I did an hour and I'm pedaling along and man I found a really great route so if you do the coastal going coastal route it uh, starts off at the desert but it starts off in the desert at a slight high point very slight so it's you're not starting off going uphill which is the most demoralizing lamest thing to do to somebody in a bike workout uh you know zero warm-up and anyway so it's slight downhill and then flat and level which is wonderful for about i think it takes about 12 15 minutes to get out of the desert then you're doing the slight rolling and then when you come out uh you can choose uh you're in the jungle and you can choose which way to go and do all these uphills and stuff and so i finished out the ride with like a really strong uphill uh three really strong uphill uh intervals and then that wrapped me up so I think I ended up doing about four hours on Saturday and about three hours on Sunday of bike run combination. And it was pretty good. Let me get in and do my swim and then we'll truly wrap up the show. Be right back. All right, leaving the pool. I was a little shocked at how cold it was until I looked at the temperature and it's 32 degrees. When I got to the pool, I wore my clothes all the way out onto the deck. <laughs> I changed into my swimsuit in the locker room. They put all my clothes back on. It's a long walk, it feels like, from the locker room out into the water. And let's see, after my swim, crammed down a, uh, a chocolate coconut uh, granola bar kind of thing. I wouldn't call it an energy bar, per se. And let's see what else we got going on here. Just throw the wet stuff in the back. We can organize it later. I need to get to W to the ERK. You're gonna go in the car with me. So y'all go up here. There we go. And first part of the swim felt sore. So I'm gonna kind of slow. So I'm like, looks like today is gonna be a little bit of a easier day. Always use your warm up to feel how fatigued you are and then adjust your workout accordingly. If you're a little bit sore. A little bit slow it's a great time to build on that endurance and i always say that swimming's always worth it you don't have to swim hard we swim very little compared to what we actually could be and then if it's after a big weekend of training like biking and running then barely kick at all even use a pool boy uh, mix it in and out and then you'll find that the water pressure and the gentle kicking helps rehab your legs Real nice. There we go. I need to take my truck in. Get it. Get the oil changed. And ooh, sunglasses. Yeah, sun's coming up earlier. Oh, the matcha matcha green tea seems to be working really, really, really good. Man, the energy is so nice and smooth from it, with no hard come down. And also, green tea, I believe, has. Uh, a chemical like fluoride if it's not fluoride in it that's actually good for your teeth so doubling up on things there counteracts the sugariness also pro tip keep your fuel separate from your water 
take a sip of your fuel and then take a couple sips of water, you've just cleaned the sugar off your teeth. Bang, bang. And before I forget and go on too long, I've always got a coaching spot open, it seems like. I can always, always got somebody that's finishing up training or something, and you can tell they're winding down and then something else is coming up. So hit me up for coaching at texafornia at gmail.com. We do full custom coaching for all the different sports. And then talking a little bit about what's coming up next. Like I said, uh, might be doing a mountain bike race on Sunday and one lap. And I think that's what my race would be. One lap takes me about two hours if I'm going easy. So we're talking a little bit faster than that for a full on race. Although something that's funny is I don't treat all my mountain bike races like I'm really, really racing. I treat them a lot like a nice training day. <laughs> I uh, start from the back and just work my way up through the front and it's a lot of fun. And I've been playing around with the TPU inner tubes. I did something crazy and kind of ruined one on, uh, I wouldn't say totally on purpose, but I was fine with it because they're only $12 and it's worth it. I cut the valve core, the non-removable valve core out of the tip of my second one and then got it so it was just the valve core and then screwed it back in. And yeah, it's kind of sketchy. I'm a little worried about putting it under 120 PSI in a front wheel like the other TPU inner tube that I did and that the valve core is going to just blow out of it. So I guess what I could do, I don't know. I think, I feel like I've made it completely um, untrustworthy now that I think about it. I don't know if I could ride that thing, but I guess I could put in earplugs and uh, pump it up on the other side of a door <laughs> and see if it'll hold the, uh, the 120 PSI. It had a little bit of sealant on the uh, valve core as I screwed it in so maybe that'll hold it in place a little bit like glue I don't know but in the meantime I have found plenty of uh, TPU inner tubes that have removable valve cores they just cost a little bit more and I think a metal TPU uh, well, a TPU inner tube with a metal valve stem oh another thing is when you start pumping up to higher pressures these valve stems are plastic, right? And the the pump head doesn't want to stay on them. It slips off. And that's really hard to do once you start getting up in the road pressures. And that's definitely a downside. Now you could score what they call it, you know, kind of cut gently and rough up the, um, the tip of the valve stem so that a pump head will, will stay on it better, which would be especially good out in the field if it's wet and all kind of stuff. I already have that done. I think you could do that without damaging the valve stem tip. And I guess last thing is on the Patreon, I already started updating it and mixed in a whole bunch of things. One off the top of my head was I started working on frame materials and going in the, to the difference between uh, aluminum, carbon, titanium. I don't think I've written the piece on titanium yet. And... Oh, what are the steel? And then what I ride right now, my gravel bike is um, magnesium. And the 
upsides and downsides of each and what I would run. I need to add to it what I would run uh, for different races and different sports and stuff like that. Uh, one thing to know is that people mistakenly call aluminum alloy, right? If they say it's an alloy rim or alloy seat post, what? okay, listen, or alloy, alloy frame. Everything is an alloy pretty much if it's a metal and you use it. It exists. It's been manufactured. An alloy means they take two different metals and blend them together. It's very rare, like in a scientific lab maybe, to have a pure metal. <laughs> Everything is an alloy. Titanium is actually alloyed with a little bit of this and a little bit of that. My magnesium bike frame has a little bit of neomidium and some other rare earth and probably a little bit of aluminum, tiny bit in there. And uh, steel is actually iron and nickel and some other stuff in there. And aluminum alloy is aluminum and then skin, skin, skinadium, I don't know, whatever all that stuff is. So just call it aluminum. I saw a comment on YouTube where somebody says, when are they going to stop calling aluminum alloy? Everything is an alloy, pretty much. That's a good thing to know. And there's definitely like a place for all different kinds of bike frame material. It's really fascinating. And I put a comment in there. People think aluminum doesn't rust. It totally rusts. It just, it's called oxide and it's white. So if you've got white scabby looking crust forming on your aluminum, that's rust. And it will bond with uh, other things and then make it really hard to break free. Especially if they are um, different materials. It just rusts differently and not quite as fast as, uh, as steel. But also steel, with all the alloying that's done in that nowadays, it takes forever for a steel frame to rust through. I really wouldn't worry. All right, that's it. That's on the Patreon. Uh, well, we already talked about that at the beginning. Training Bible, whatever I'm going to end up calling it. So coming up soon, hopefully we got a mountain bike race and training for that and some on the scenes. And we're poking around at a specialized diverge with the head shock, uh, future shock front suspension on it. And if that happens, then we'll have a little bit of a review of that coming up at some point soon. I think that'll take a while to actually get here. Okay, we hear you, parking sensor. And yeah, the uh, progress on getting the full-blown uh, Trek speed concept back on the road and off the trainer uh, is continuing. Both race wheels are aired up, holding air pressure. And I'll have to look at the schedule and see if the uh, Aggieland triathlon doesn't conflict with these, this other race that Kai really wants to do that's out in Turkey, Texas, way out in Central West Texas. And it is a big, big race. And I want to go too, to go do it. And it'll probably be like 150 mile gravel. And the biggest names in the sport are going to be there, the biggest pros. And that will be really, really cool. And a 150 mile gravel race is like, they're not, that's almost like doing an Ironman. It's pretty close. <laughs> Because of the, the beating up of the gravel is kind of like the swim on your upper body. And then just the distance of, of going that far on gravel uh, fatigues your lower body too. And it ends up taking close to the same amount of time as uh, about, I would say about three quarters the same amount of time as doing an Ironman. And because you're so much slower on gravel than you are on a track. All right, that's it. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out.